You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans, from my basement right here on the south side. This is Socks in the Basement. We've got so much going on. James Fox from Future Socks is going to be on the program to talk about the upcoming MLB draft. Uh, we also have a big event going on in Blue Island on Sunday. You can come out and see Socks in the Basement live and in person. We will get into that. Uh, but my friend... Before I even talk about our fine sponsors, Family Waterproofing Solutions, I've got to tell you, I have a crackpot theory, and it involves Kenny Williams knocking on Jerry Reinstorf's door some point in the last week and saying, we got to fix this. Let me get in there. And uh, Kenny's Kenny's coming out of the woodwork, man. He, he's, he's all of a sudden starting to appear, and I think we're going to get an awful lot of Kenny Williams, and he's probably pushing to remove the manager and maybe even uh, some other folks. I I think Kenny is the catalyst to to the next thing that happens on this team. Well, for a guy who's been awfully quiet, right? We we didn't hear a lot of Kenny all season long. We didn't hear a lot of Kenny in the offseason. We just haven't heard a lot of Kenny in general. You know he's still there, right? Nothing wrong with the guy. Like, he he hasn't been in a coma since last December. Like, the lockout didn't hit. They didn't put Kenny in a cryogenic freezer so that he would only be out once you know the world series happened or something like that but yeah you're right all of a sudden kenny team meeting with kenny williams and you start hearing whispers about "Mm, you know there's some hot seats going on in the front office and in the coaching staff and ooh, you know the 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 team's the the team's not doing so hot you know he's gotta he's gotta bring this back together i think you're right i think kenny williams wants to i think he recognizes that there's another opportunity here and he would love to have his legacy be the only general manager in White Sox history to win it twice. Yeah. As it is, he's kind of the only general manager to win it once. I mean, if you think about how long things went, um, you know, you got to go back to when, when ownership was really running the show. So, well, and they still are. I'm convinced that the Bob Nightingale thing came from Kenny. Wouldn't it benefit him the most? You know, if he's trying oh, yeah. to stir things up, it also throws shade on Larusa and also fires up the players he also goes and has that big team meeting, like all of that stuff swirling around. I mean, I don't have any proof of it, but that's the guy I think, even though Nightingale's on the radio going, it was a player, eh, whatever. That, that, that's a bad journalistic source. I talked to a player who talked to another player who gave me some hearsay. Wasn't, it was it was a player on another team that talked to a player on the White Sox, right? Right. I mean, like, like most journalists couldn't even use that quote. So I'm sorry, but I think, I think... Even if he did talk to a player, it's possible he also talked to Kenny. This episode and every episode of Socks in the Basement is brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions, named one of the Southtown's best in 2021 by the Daily Southtown. Uh, now is the time to fix any issues going on around your home with the patio, the sidewalk, the uneven concrete or brick. And, and that's a foundation issue. That's water underneath there. They're not going to destroy it. They're going to keep it intact and put it back the way that it should be. And this is the best time of the year to do that. They'll also take care of bowing walls, window wells, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, you name it, they do it. Family and veteran owned and operated since 2013. Call them 24-7, mention Socks in the Basement, get money off, 708-330-4466. 
See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. And this show, Ed, and I'm going to say it loud and proud, is the big giant wooden spoon that stirs the pot. And to illustrate that point, we saw it in spring training when Tony LaRusso said, I think the real White Sox fans, and, I, and you know, my memory is not as bad as Tony's, but it's not perfect, so I might not have this exact quote, right. but we did have it in an episode you can go back and listen to back then. I think the real White Sox fans know that we have the players we need. When he was asked about whether or not the team should go get a right fielder before A.J. Pollock or a second baseman, and we took him to task, and our show came out three, four days after he said it. But the day it comes out, it comes out at like one in the morning. It hits in the morning. People listen to it. And all of a sudden, he's having an impromptu thing with the beat reporter saying, I don't know what Joker's saying. I I don't like White Sox fans. In his actual things he was saying, it was as if he was quoting the show. And what I found interesting over the last week, and and look, I, I think it's great. I appreciate the fact that somebody's listening in there, right? But Sure, welcome. What I noticed was, We asked a question that I think other people had kind of alluded to, but we really got in deep with what happened during the all-star talk with Tim Anderson being named in front of his team, right? Now, we knew Kenny had spoken to the team. We, We knew that it had happened over the last couple of days. They were also not telling you very much of what had happened in the meeting. Show comes out at one o'clock in the morning. A couple of days later, uh, the show's out for the morning and into the afternoon. And the first time that somebody can sit in front of a microphone for the first time, even though there have been whispers, it was completely confirmed that, oh, yeah, that's when Kenny yelled at them all. That's why they were upset. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, Tony, I think, told Scott Merkin that. So, you know, and that's that's one of the benefits of being able to do this show. It's why we're able to say things that say NBC Sports can't say. Right. I mean, I know everybody's throwing platitudes at Ozzie Guillen and the rest of those guys on TV for talking about Tony LaRusso's shortcomings. But you're two months too late. We've been doing this for a long time. I'm glad you're doing it. It signifies to me that somebody within the organization has kind of told you it's okay to start doing it now. But they're never really going to talk about the biggest problem. And that's the guy who owns the team who enables Tony and stops anybody from firing him because he's not going to let his friend get fired a second time. They're never going to talk about that. And you can see it when Ozzie Guillen is yelling about Tony, right? You can see it. He tries so hard to speak English, and he even talks about his shortcoming uh, doing it. I think he actually does a very good job. Oh, yeah. He, he, He does much better than he used to. Right. And it's not his first language, but he even talks about it. He talked about it when he was fighting with John Heyman on Twitter. It was one of the first things he said. I don't speak English very good. Okay. But when he is trying to figure out what he wants to say and he's being critical, I think subconsciously, because he doesn't, I don't think he intends to say it. He says things. He mutters things. You can see him on TV. I don't know if I could say this. I don't know if I'll get in trouble. I don't know if this is allowed. Like you hear these little things coming out, right? You can hear these every once in a while he says that stuff because look, I'm glad they're talking about what's going on. That shows that there's some movement somewhere in the organization, if not the owner, that's supporting the idea that maybe this isn't the manager for the White Sox. But they're never going to sit down and actually talk about the fact that he's only the manager because the owner won't get rid of him. Yeah, and and that's, I mean, that's a conversation. I don't even know if that conversation, frankly, is going to be productive for this team this season to sit there and say that this is this is going to be an issue. I think it's something that if... We're not surprised, and and we would be surprised, right? We would be surprised if there was a press release, if there was a headline crawl on MLB Network or MLB.com saying that the White Sox had let go of Tony La Russa and Frank Menachino, right? And the way the, the Blue Jays 
just got rid of Charlie Montoya. And, and you know, I saw your tweet pointing out that the Blue Jays are holding Montoya accountable for a team that's over 500 but is behind in the standings and is underachieving for where they're, they're you know, where they wanted to be this year, which is where the White Sox wanted to be, right? They wanted the, – the Blue Jays wanted to be – in that AL championship game, they wanted to be in the World Series, and same thing with the Sox. We would be shocked if the Sox fired Tony La Russa, right? As fans, it's as anybody who follows the team, you'd be just, holy cow, they really did it, right? But, you know, you would not be shocked, for example, if on the other side of the All-Star break, Tony came out and said, you know, the rigors of the road, I can't keep up with it anymore, my health isn't as what, what it should be. Uh, I'm going to step back and Miguel Cairo is going to run the team from here on out. And we promoted somebody from the minors to serve as his bench coach. We moved Super Joe off a of third base and he's going to serve as the bench coach. If you saw something like that, you'd sit there and go, what would, what would our minds be? Our minds would be, there was a conversation somewhere within the organization. Maybe Tony was asked, maybe it was his idea, but either way, you know, that's, that's their version of him being fired, but he would never be outright canned like that and calling for that or calling out the ownership or calling out the White Sox in general for not being that team. I don't know. I don't know if there's any more service that needs to be done than that, because it's, it's something that we all kind of know. I think the question is, is there a way to salvage this? Right. And Tony said, I got to manage better. Okay, great. Tony, that's, that's, we know. And you know, you're getting guys like Ozzy finally able to be somewhat critical, but I do getting back to the Kenny Williams thing. You know, I do think that if there is somebody within that front office, if there's anybody who's got that kind of cachet with Jerry that's still floating around, I think Kenny's one of those guys, right? He could fire Rick Hahn because he wants to, he's got a vision for what he could do with his current roster and what's available out there, and Rick won't do it, and he doesn't want to overrule him. Or, and this is my crackpot theory, Kenny wants to hit for the cycle. He made it to the bigs as a player, he won it as a GM. He wants the center chair. He wants to throw the uni back on, and he wants to manage this team to a World Series, and he thinks he can get it done. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's better That's better than what I want, which would be Ozzie Guillen being the manager just for a couple of months and throwing people under the bus. <laughs> like, I don't want him, yeah. I don't well, want there, him permanent. I don't want him permanent. Please don't get me wrong on that, but, man, wouldn't the second half be amazing if Ozzie Guillen... How Just about, what months. about Stoney? Let's pull him down out of the booth and yeah. give him a job. Yeah, let Keen and Stoney run the team. Just the two of them. Just let them go down there and run the team and give post-game interviews. I think it'd be absolutely incredible. Let me tell you something. If the White Sox lose three out of four against the Twins, something's happening, I think, over the, over the All-Star break. Pork and Carry at the Park in the shadow of the ballpark has an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites at a great price. Bring in the kids beforehand. You know, uh, have a couple of beers and enjoy your time with other Sox fans. From time to time, you bump into me or Ed there. We'll drop off a bunch of stuff from Sox in the basement. It's yours. It's free. They have an extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers and familiar favorites and spirits and wines. And... They also have their other location on Western Avenue. 10614 Southwestern is Cork and Carry in Beverly, the original right there traditional Irish bar in the Beverly neighborhood. Whichever one that you are visiting to watch a Sox game or pre and post game when going to a Sox game, you can check out more at corkandcarry.com. It is now time for the segment on Sox in the Basement sweeping the nation. It's called Corn in the Basement. And Michael Suero, who normally covers on Sox on 35th, 
all the things that are going on with the minor leagues is out of town this week, right before the draft. Ridiculous. So instead, we brought in the guy that wrote an article for Sox on 35th about every guy that could possibly be drafted by the White Sox. So we're going to let him go at it right now. Noah Phelan joins us from Sox on 35th right now with corn in the basement. Take it away, Noah. Well, Chris, I think this is one of the more interesting years in recent history for the White Sox. Uh, Typically, when you go into a draft season, there's one or two guys where you're pretty confident that it's going to be one of those two guys that the Sox take. Uh, Last year with Colson Montgomery, I think a lot of people saw that pick coming, and it was no surprise. But this year, I genuinely see the White Sox going any direction. One guy that I really like for them is Drew Gilbert. He's an outfielder from the University of Tennessee. He's a left-handed hitter, super athletic, will probably stick in center field in the majors. Um, His power will probably stay about average because he's only about 5'9", but the problem with this guy is that uh, he's very talented, and so I'm not sure he makes it to the White Sox at 26. If he does, though, I would not be surprised if that's the pick. One thing that I think throughout the White Sox system is lacking is people that are left-handed, and that is left-handed bats, left-handed arms, you name it. I think the White Sox need to get more left-handed as an organization. I like Connor Prelip. He's out of Alabama, left-handed pitcher, and the only concern with him is he is coming off Tommy John surgery, so there's always a question mark there, but he's got a big fastball, he's got a wipeout slider, and a lot of people grade him as the best left-handed pitcher in the class. So it wouldn't shock me if the White Sox take the risk with the recent injury and go and get one of the top arms in the class. And if you would like to hear more about where the Sox might go with the 26th pick, go ahead on over to SoxOn35th.com and look at my recent article that was posted where I listed several other guys that are definite possibilities at 26. Join us on the line. Always lucky to have him on. Whenever he comes on, we always get such a great response for James Fox of Future Sox. And it's the perfect time to talk to you, my friend, as the draft is upon us. How are you? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, I don't know anything about this draft. I, I honestly don't. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm all caught up in, you know, all the crap going on with the major league team right now. And, you know, what's going on with things in the locker room? And is Kenny secretly trying to take over again? I have my theories on that. And yes. I, yes. I think that answers yes. yes. I think that answers yes, man. He's, he's showing up all of a sudden. I think he's always, pretty soon Kenny Williams will be back in the limelight and running everything. There's just so much for me to pay attention there, but this team will be be affected down the line by what they do in the draft. So uh, how much uh, attention have you been able to pay to what the White Sox are probably going to do here in the first couple of rounds of the MLB draft? Yeah, so, you know, pretty close attention. I mean, this is one of the things we do over at Future Sox. I, I like covering um, the draft. I think I have a, a pretty good uh, pretty good feel on, you know, just like some of the guys that they might be interested in. And look, they don't, you know, the one of the big differences between the major league baseball draft and the other drafts is it's like all about money and how much money you can spend. And the white Sox don't really have that much to spend. So, you know, that, that makes it um, a little bit more interesting. Why don't they have that much to spend? Is it their slot in the draft? How does that work? Yeah. So basically, I mean, they have the 26 pick um, and that pick is worth like, I don't know, like two point uh, like, I don't know, like 4 million or something along those lines. Right. And then, their next pick at 62 is worth 
like 800,000 and then so on and so forth. So then you add all those together and that's what you have to spend on the top 10 rounds. They don't have any extra picks. So, you know, like the pick they, if had they done the qualifying offer thing with Carlos Rodon, you would have an extra pick and an extra $800,000 that goes with that pick. So, I mean, the teams with the biggest bonus pools are the teams that pick at the top and then the teams that have extra picks. Like the Mets, I think the Mets have a huge pool um, because they have two first rounders because they didn't sign Kumar Rocker last year. But the other teams in the White Sox division always have kind of a lot of money because they get like one extra pick for being small market clubs. Like the small market clubs get like one extra draft pick to help them. So like the good small market teams like really benefit from this because they have extra money to spend in the draft. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way that this works then is that you have that pool of money. So if the Sox have somebody they want to sign, they they almost reach out in advance and tell the player, if we can get to you, we can give you this much money. But it's really kind of a game to to get that player to kind of fall back to them. It's not really you're just drafting the next guy because it's your pick. You got to be sure that he's going to take your money and he's not looking at maybe a team that's later on down in the draft who can offer him more money, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in the first 10 rounds, if you draft a guy in the first 10 rounds, like they're likely signing because if they don't sign, then you lose like that pick and that bonus pool number. Now you get a pick the following year if it happens, but yeah, I mean, you could, you could find yourself in a lot of trouble. So basically the, the way the white Sox have done it lately is they've prioritized getting like three or four players with their first few picks. They usually pay slot value for their first pick, but they go way over in round two and then way over again, either in, three or four or five, and they use the money that's supposed to go in rounds five through 10. And then in rounds five through 10, they take seniors um, and they pay those guys like $10,000. So if you take five seniors, you know, like round six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, that's $50,000 against your bonus pool. Well, if your bonus pool is like 7 million, well, then you have the rest of it to spend on your first five picks. Now that's not what everybody does, but that's, you know, that that's one of the things the White Sox have done lately. And I guess I'm just I'm curious to see if they kind of do that again or if they like play it more straight. But I mean my guess is they'll go full slot in round one, um, with whoever they take, and then they'll go over in round two. Now going over in round two, sometimes that allows you to like float like a better player to that spot. Like if you pay like last year they took West Cass in the second round and they gave him one point eight million. Um, that's like late first round money. So, you know, that, that's how you can do that sometimes. James Fox and every guest on Socks in the Basement is brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore. See all they have to offer, including Forge Fest this weekend. Actually, on Saturday, you got music, you got fireworks, you got beautiful outdoor spaces. Plan your next day trip and check it all out. It's really laid out there for you at LamontDowntown.com. So now, who do we think they're going to get? Because I don't even, I can't even fathom how you and anybody else that analyzes a draft is able to come up with a, a couple of solid names that you think they're going to get that late in the first round. But I know that you sit there, you look at the projections, you look at what they need, uh, you, you look at what guys may be available at that time. So if you had to go out right now, and 
I don't know, put some of your own hard-earned money down. Somebody put a gun to your head and said, give me the top three guys or so that you think the White Sox are going to go out and try to get in that in that spot. Do you have somebody? Yeah, so it's a little tricky just because, like, like college pitching, I think, is an option, and that could be any number of guys. But if they go to the position player side again, you know, they did take a prep infielder, left-handed hitter last year in Colson, who we talked about. There's another guy, Tucker Toman, prep. Uh, he's a prep infielder out of South Carolina, a switch hitter, uh, one of the best like hitters in the prep class. He's committed to LSU. He's been linked to the White Sox pretty heavily, but some other teams in front of them too. So if they take a bat, I think that's a good name, Tucker Toman. It would be very similar to what they did last year. But the system really does need pitching, and I heard that you know there, there's a lot of pitchers that would interest them in the first round. Like a Connor Prelip is a guy out of Alabama who was supposed to be a top ten pick and had Tommy John, and he's back now. I don't know if he gets to them. Um, Carson Wisenhunt sat out the year because he failed a drug test. He's out of East Carolina, um, so those are like two names, and then Justin Campbell out of Oklahoma State, another like big righty. So my thing is like, obviously like I haven't seen the white Sox draft board. I'm sure there's a couple of pitchers where it's like, if this guy's on the board, we're taking it. I just don't know who's the, who those names are. But what I would say is if it's not the prep infielder, Tucker Tolman, it's probably college pitching and it could be like a handful of guys. So I have a novice opinion on, on drafts and I'm curious what you think of it in, in my in my inexperienced opinion when it comes to baseball drafts, I tend to feel like you should either go out and get a pitcher uh, that, because if you, you, arms are always important. But the other thing is I'm surprised, especially in later rounds, uh, when teams, if there's not a clear-cut guy at a specific position, aren't just going after shortstops, like the most, most athletic guy on his team. You know, in a little league team, the best player on that team is generally the shortstop. On a high school team, the best athlete is probably a shortstop. The center fielder used to be a shortstop till he became second best to that guy. So I always think that when you go get that shortstop, if he's got a bat and he can play there, even if he doesn't work out there, you may have a corner outfielder, or you might have a guy that stands at third base, or you might you have, he can be he can be transitioned easier. But when you just go out and get guys that are already like corner outfielders or corner infielders, and it doesn't work out, you might get a logjam, like something we've seen on the White Sox over the last couple of years. What do you think of that? Well, that's how most teams try to do it. I think. I mean, I think we're we're used to following the White Sox, so you know they haven't. Um, it was a big COS team thing. Like take, take shortstops because like, who cares if you have too many of them because they can all play anywhere. The top of this draft is, is interesting because there's a lot of like high upside prep hitters that are going to go. I don't even think a pitcher goes in the top 10 on Sunday. Um, and it's like Andrew Jones's son, Drew Jones is a center fielder that could also play shortstop, but um, Jeff Blauser's kids on the same high school team. So he plays center field. Matt Holiday's son, Jackson Holiday, is a shortstop out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Um, he, he's going to go up there. Former NFL tight end Eric Green, his son Elijah Green, is a center fielder. Uh, this one's going to make you feel really old. Carl Crawford's son is going to be a first-round pick in this draft. Wow. Yes, that Carl Crawford. That wow. Carl Crawford. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, all these top guys are pretty much – shortstops or center fielders. That doesn't mean they're going to stay at shortstop. Like a lot of them are projected to third or second, but they play shortstop now, you know, and then the college hitters are basically just 
Um, there are a couple of corner outfielders, and there's a catcher, Kevin Prada out of Georgia Tech. But, yeah, no, you, I mean, your theory is sound. It's just they go high. Like, the shortstops go early for the most part, um, or they go to school. And then, you know, they go high later. So, yeah, it's super valuable shortstop center field um, because those guys can, if they can't stay there, they can play anywhere for the most part. James Fox always gives us good information uh, when it comes to the minors and for the draft. And I also found it funny that you laughed at my theory uh, and seemed to possibly agree with it that this could be Kenny Williams's moment. He might have knocked on the door, James. He might have knocked on Jerry's door and said, I'm going to fix this for you. Didn't I? I mean, the other day when the Nightingale piece came out, didn't I mention? Didn't I tell you? I knew this. Like, I think I was even tweeting and people are in my DMs. like, What are you talking about? I'm like, that's Kenny Williams music, man. This is like <laughs> 2008 to two, to 2015 White Sox stories, right? Where we're like, oh, who's the leak? Who is it? And that, I felt like we were doing it all over again. But, you know, I, I'm with him this time. Like, you know, I could just see him going, going down there and like turning some tables over and trying to figure this thing out because you can't fire the players. And apparently he's not allowed to fire the manager either. James Fox, future Sox, check him out. And uh, thanks so much, my friend, for jumping on. All right. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Sox in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Okay, so we don't do this very often. We we generally don't do full shows out in public. Like, I'll walk around with a little microphone, right, Ed? And uh, yeah. I'll, I'll interview yeah, people. A little at recording things. device, yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, we, we were out at Papa Hops doing the uh, the final game of their 16-inch softball tournament and, and announcing that. But I, bringing out all the equipment, normally I'm not into this. This isn't, like, my thing. Like, I'll do it for Cork and Carry at the park. That's, like, one of my places I'll do it for. Uh, I know I've told a couple other places, like, hey, if you ever want to, I'm available, but it, it's not something I do a lot because it's kind of a pain in the butt. I, I do it for places that I, I I really enjoy being at and people I've known for a long time. Uh, and for a long time, Blue Island Beer Company has been asking me if I would do something for Socks in the Basement and them. I remember like a couple years ago, pandemic is like in, in full effect. And we were trying to figure out if we could do a socks in the basement fest because there was no socks fest. And we tried to get that put together. And then, you know, there were all of a sudden restrictions changed and everything was going up and down and we couldn't get the whole thing set up. And ever since then, I've always wanted to just do something over at their place. This is kind of like a long time coming. Uh, so come on out and join us this Sunday. Socks in the Basement uh, presents a live podcast and a book signing. Our guest will be the authors of Chili Dog MVP, a new book about Dick Allen. 
1972 White Sox and a transforming of Chicago. And uh, we're going to have some good time. The Sox-Twins final game will be playing in the background. So what you do, you come out about 1230. Everybody kind of gets there. Doors are open. Get some beers. Uh, the podcast will start at 2, about an hour after the game has begun. No matter what happens after the podcast is over, we'll get to watch the end of the first half of the season, hang out with you, have some beers, and talk about what happened. Look, man, maybe they win all four. Again, this show comes out on Friday. So I, I don't know. I don't know what game one did, right? But maybe they win all four. In Minnesota. Maybe the whole thing turns around. They went all four. They won six out of eight. That's what I said they had to do. If they take three out of four, they took five out of eight, which I said was the absolute minimum. Tony keeps his job, and we continue to just wonder, are they ever going to break through, right? And maybe Eloy is not really seriously injured. Most likely he is. I mean, but but like, right. that guy should never play the outfield again, too. I'm sorry. I know I said I said that I said that six months ago. I said that a year ago. Everybody laughs at me every time I say it, like, "Oh, you can't make him a permanent DH." Well, it's no, he's no good to you when he pay, plays 20 percent of the games. You know, you want his bat. Unfortunately, this is what he is. Yeah, and it's it's what's disturbing about it is you can you can look at okay, last year when he made the jump in spring training and he hurt him, freakish injury. Yeah, but this year it's he's just running. It's just it's it's running in the outfield. And, and the, the injury the other night, it's just him jogging to catch a ball. James Fegan, who's been on the show many times from The Athletic, does a great job covering the, uh, the White Sox. Uh, he put out a thing after Jimenez's injury, and he had written this already. So he just took a screenshot of a conversation he was having. I want to say this was with Rick Hahn, yes. And he was talking about it. And this is the quote from Hahn before the injury happened. I'm not sure if you recall or noticed last year, but this would happen to... Uh, Yasmani Grandal from time to time when he was active. It could be the kind of thing you are going to see Aloy at some point when he's playing for us pull up a little bit, test out his leg, get comfortable and say, okay, that's the feeling I'm accustomed to feeling from time to time, but it's not indicative of any sort of injury. Almost trying to say he's been injured so much, there's a chance that he needs, like sometimes he's just being, he's being cautious. So he may not be as bad, and he might only need a couple days off. The problem is everybody on this team gets a couple days off. The manager thinks all of them are 80 years old, just like him, and they get just as tired as he does. So, like, you play two games, you get a day off. I mean, there's so much rest on this team. You know, I, I wonder, like, if a different regime would be like, all right, Aloy, you're, you're good. Well, I don't know if I feel good. Well, you're good. Go out and play. That doesn't happen here. That's that goes back to what Gian was saying about how you know uh, Tony Larusa is a Rick Renteria with credentials. What he means by saying that is Ricky used to baby his kids, and this guy who I thought was going to be a taskmaster and an old school 1980s you know baseball manager wasn't going to put up with any crap and he was going to suck all the fun out of the clubhouse, but he was going to hold them accountable. He's not that. He's just Ricky Renteria again. The way that he's treating them. That's also a problem. It's a tremendous problem. And and you're right. Would a different manager have let Aloy come out of the game yesterday, but then put him right back out there today and said, you know, go see the trainer, get the knot worked out, whatever it is, and head back on out there. Or I'm putting you in the lineup, but you're going to DH, you know, and don't you dare dog it on the base pass. One of the things that you and I have talked about a number of times is how much it hurts some of these players to be in and out of the lineup and be shuffled around. Usually in a regular lineup, you might have one or two guys that are platoon guys and they get used to it because they know, look, I know I'm sitting against lefties because that's what that you know the club's told me. I'm never I'm not facing a lefty unless somebody comes in in the middle innings or in a blowout, I'll get a few at bats against them. But if it's if it's you know, a lefty starter, I'm on the bench and that's when this guy is coming in and that guy knows. 
look, for the most part, I'm facing only the lefty starters. I might, when somebody else needs a blow, get another start here or there. And those are usually your utility guys, right? So that's not this, though. What we have is we have this constant shuffling of, and we've had, you know, Vaughn's in, Sheets is in, Pollock's out, Pollock's in, Engel's in, Vaughn's out, Sheets is out. You know, there's all these moving parts. All right, we're going to see you Sunday. Blue Island Beer Company, get out there and say hi, all right? We we would really love to see you, meet everybody out there, and and have a couple of beers. I'm going to give the address real quick to you, 13357 Old Western Avenue in downtown historic Blue Island. It's a really cool area down there, and we'll be talking with the authors of Chili Dog MVP, Dick Allen, the 72 White Sox, and a transforming of Chicago. We will see you out there, and... And by then, we're going to know what the heck's going on. I think we're going to have a really good picture of it. This is Socks in the Basement. 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 Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.